I like to start with the news. So, next slide, please. Okay, kind of a heavy week. Kind of a heavy, I think yesterday we got this global terror alert. Uh, I am getting on a plane in about 72 hours, so I guess Seattle's a pretty benign destination, hopefully. But um, So we've got this kind of heavy on our hearts. This uh, guy, Mr. Snowden, gets asylum in Russia, kind of put a strain between uh, maybe President Obama and Vladimir Putin. Uh, this guy, Ariel Castro, gets life in prison plus a thousand years. Of course, A-Rod, you know, is having his own battle. And as I was thinking about the news this week, the question came to my mind, what are these people seeking? Because on the one hand, I'm preparing a sermon, and I'm looking at the news on the other hand, and, and this morning the text is going to talk about seeking, and I think about those who are threatening sort of global security. What are they seeking? I mean, beyond uh, destruction, what are they hoping for? What's Mr. Snowden seeking beyond sort of asylum? What's behind uh, why he did what he did and what he's doing now? This guy from uh, uh, Florida, uh, I'm not sure if he's from Florida, but he paddled from Cuba to Florida. It's 111 miles, took him 28 hours, and averaging just about three miles an hour on a paddleboard is pretty impressive. I got one of those things one time in the Puget Sound, which is cold and filled with jellyfish. And so, like, you don't want to handle one of those things standing like that in surf. You know, surfers, they stand this way. You know, those things are standing this way. So you get a wave. I went right into the drink, so scared I was going to hit a jellyfish. But the idea is, what are we seeking? Why was he set out to break that uh, record? And then A-Rod, of course, seeking to continue to play baseball. And then this man in the middle is really troubling. Uh, I, uh, the bottom middle, I found that there was a psychologist report of some kind, 100% perfectly sane, this guy completely coherent and rational, what on earth was he seeking with those three women in, uh, trapped in his house? So, so the question this morning uh, brings us to our text. So remember, we're in this series uh, called uh, um, Just Add Water, the idea being faith. It's like water. It causes things to grow. It's so essential for our Christian life. And we've made a number of determinations based on the last few Sundays uh, of sermons. We've, we've learned that real faith starts not with human gusto, but God's grace. We are not the first mover in faith. Actually, God is. The exercise of faith doesn't require 100% perfection, but total perseverance. Not excellence per se, but endurance. Not self-loathing, I just can't do it, but faithful repentance. Not in the smallness of our courage, but in the greatness of God's mercy. So Hebrews says also this, that through faith, we who truly believe in Jesus will persevere. We who truly believe and know God will persevere. Because Hebrews 11 is flesh and blood testimony. It's, it's not an abstract idea, it's a historical record of what does faith look like in the, in the flesh and blood situations in, uh, in the lives of those who follow God. So we looked at Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah. And then the way Hebrews 11 works is like this. There's like this list, uh, the stories of these people who their flesh and blood situations, and then there's like a summary. And then there's another list, kind of more uh, 
people in the family, Rahab and Moses will be the next list. And then finally, a summary. What this is here is this is like the first summary. Is that clear? So this is what it says. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They are seeking a homeland. So this is the word of God. Jesus says, we do not live by bread alone, but by every mouth, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, in faith, we look to you. No doubt there are some here who feel inadequate and alone and that life is very difficult. I pray you would encourage them. There's probably others here who are still wondering about this Christian faith, not quite sure if they can trust you, not quite sure if all this Christian business is the truth. To them, God, I, I commit to you. The power of your spirit would call them, illuminate the truth in their hearts. And God, we just, for all of us, we just throw ourselves at your feet for your mercy. Would you illuminate your word to us? Would you let me not stand in the way of what you would say to your church? We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm asking you to consider today longing. What are we seeking? What are we longing for? I pointed to the news. What are we longing for? One way to hear uh, human longing is, of course, to look at culture. And I'm thinking specifically of music here. You could look at film or art or whatever. You know, so any art history majors in here, you can sort of talk about the zeitgeist of the time, the spirit of the times, and how that related to you know, impressionistic or realism art or whatever. I'm going to talk about music because I love music. And when I was a 15-year-old kid, I listened to aggressive like speed metal like scary genre of music. And of course, it spoke, I mean, it, there's, there's resonance with the demographic, right? You think, you go to a heavy metal concert, it's like mostly young guys, or at least young at heart, and it's aggressive, right? And, and like, you know, aggression and a 15-year-old teenage boy go together like peas and carrots, right? So for me, it was like, crank up the distortion, hit the power cords, and start banging your head, and oh, that spoke to me. Now, not so much uh, these days, you know, it's kiddie it's kitty music, you know, and I was, I was curious about children's music. They're all singing together, right? It's always not just one solo, not a lot of solos. There's just a lot of like, you know, and the animals came in two by two, and it's all the kids, and it's really kind of jappy jangle. I guess it speaks to their situation. My situation now probably what, what you would call adult contemporary. Pretty, pretty common s- sort of music. You put it on your Pandora station, on your iPhone or whatever. And a uh, big splash in this category, at least 10 years or so ago, maybe 20, Peter Gabriel, right? And uh, he wrote this song called In Your Eyes, and I was listening to it. I wish I could sing, I just can't. Uh, but, he, but here's what he says. Love, I get so lost. Sometimes days pass and this emptiness fills my heart. When I want to run away, I drive off in my car. But whichever way I go, I come back to the place where you are. All my instincts, they return. And the grand facade so soon will burn. Without a noise, without my pride, I reach out from the inside. In your eyes, the light, the heat. In your eyes, I am complete. 
In your eyes, I see the doorway to a thousand churches. In your eyes, the resolution of all the fruitless searches. In your eyes, I see the light and the heat. In your eyes, oh, I want to be that complete. I want to touch the light, the heat I see in your eyes. Peter, what are you seeking? Are you writing about a woman? Probably, right? We've all had that sense of longing uh, for romance, right? And could echo these feelings. The question is, what is he looking? What are we looking for? Are we looking in the right place? Are we, look, are we going to find what we're looking for in that place where we're looking? That's the question. What is it that we're seeing? You see, our passage today suggests that the people of faith are also looking. They are also seeking. And here's what it says. It says they are looking to glory. In fact, faith points to glory. That is the main point of the sermon today. If you take nothing else, take this. Faith points to glory. And I want to define faith, right? It's not, remember, human gusto. It's what God has put in us, right? It's what we work out, what God has put in. Faith points to glory. It's substantive. It's resolute stick-to-itiveness, right? And by glory, I'm not talking about the kind of glory the Cardinals enjoy as an elite baseball team. Right up there with the Yankees, although they did have a rough stretch with Pittsburgh, but they pulled one out in the end, right? So I'm not talking about the bestowing of human honor because of achievement. I'm not talking about guts in glory or pride in glory. We are talking about glory on the other side of death. We are talking about there's an actual source of life and goodness and peace and help and hope. There's a source of that, and us seeking as believers... Uh, we are seeking that glory, and it's only to be found in its fullness, in its lasting capacity, in the very presence of one so glorious, one who could fling the stars into the sky, make the gorgeous and wonderful things we see in nature, make something unbelievable like sex, a God who would invent that between a man and a woman who love each other, and to bring forth children uh, from that in, in some cases but just the glory of intimacy and beauty and longing. A God who would, who would make those things, who would invent those things. There is one so glorious, and in his presence, we Christians attempt to daily live. We live before him, right? But it's not complete. It's not complete. But we have the down payment. You see, faith points to glory. Faith points to glory. And it seems to me that humanity has this vision, they also are seeking abundant life and peace and health, health and hope, right? Am I right? It's, it's the point of every movie. It's the point of, of every uh, concerto. It's the point of every uh, cultural production, basically, is to give enjoyment and pleasure and answer the questions we all have. What is the good life and how are we to enjoy it, right? God's glory is the very essence. So Peter Gabriel, I'm sorry, it's not found in women. It's not found in money. It's not found in the job, in the vacation house. It's not found even in a perfectly harmonious family. Although, we may say, there's a little bit of a down payment, you see. I mentioned down payment. There's a a little taste of it. There's There's a little taste, more or less, right? Some music and culture is produced only to the effect of staying in your head so that you can buy things. Or, 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 of course, selling records, as many records as possible, as fast as possible, right? So there's, there's tinges like, ah, oh, that's so commercial, I can't listen to that. You know, but, but, there, but sometimes a great pop song will come along and there, there's tinges. It's like, ah, oh, that, that's pointing to something, right? 
There, there's pleasure, momentary, you know, at a baseball game. It's good. But, but does it last? Is it worth pursuing at all costs? It, it's enjoyable to have money and say, hey, family, you know what? We're not worried about the menu. We're not worried about the menu prices today. You pick off the menu whatever you want. There's something wonderful about that. So I had a ninth anniversary uh, last week, and it, and it was, you know, we save up so that when we can go out, it's like, it doesn't matter. You know, we, we don't go out very often, but when we do, we go out. And that's wonderful. There's a taste of it, but it doesn't last, you see. I've got to go back in a couple days and look at my bank account. I'm like, okay, all right, you know, back to lean and mean, you know. Um, so very simply, a biblical theology will say this. It'll tell us that God himself is the source of light and heat and beauty and love in the presence of a holy and majestic God. And we, in faith, are looking to glory. Faith points to glory. Okay, so how does it do that? How does it do that? Well, here's what it says in the text. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them, having seen them and greeted them from afar. Wait a minute. They died, and they didn't receive what was promised. Hold, hold on. Does, that doesn't make sense. They died, and they didn't receive what was promised. How is God faithful if he doesn't give what he promises? You see, there must be a glory. There, 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 this makes no sense unless there's a glory on the other side. You see? They all died in faith, and they saw them. They saw them and greeted them from afar, from afar, far off. So when they died, if you were to read the previous verses of Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah. And the grammar there, it's using faith almost like this instrument or a means by which they were able to do what they did. Here the grammar shifts. These all died in faith. The translation could literally be according to faith. They died having like they lived, really, having known that God is a faithful promiser, and I can see the, the down payments. I mean, I can see the little bits, but I'm waiting, and I'm hoping for ultimate glory. You see, faith gives us vision, a distinct kind of vision. Can you go to the next slide, please? Faith gives us a distinctive vision. Right? They were able to see something coming not f- that, w- that was far off. They were able to see something coming. And so these faithful people had gone, who had gone before had seen little bits and pieces. You know, Sarah was given the promise we talked about last week. Sarah was given the promise that out of you nations will come. But did Sarah see the nations and all her grandchildren in her lifetime? No. But she held a baby boy. Right? She heard him cooing in her tent. She cleaned his bottom, picked him up when he fell down. Abraham was promised that land, that land that, you, that I'm taking you to, that is going to be yours as a possession for all those who follow you, all your family. Did Abraham really possess it? In fact, when Sarah died, he was in that land. And he's mourning. He's mourning. And Abraham himself is saying, I'm a stranger. I'm in exile. I just want to bury my wife here. And he has to ask permission to bury his wife there. It's in the city of Hebron right now, which is in the West Bank. So, so he's in the land, but did he own it at the time? No. But those, that dust was on his sandals. He drank some of that water, right? 
And those people in that land gave him that cave for, for his wife, and eventually he was buried there, and other patriarchs were buried there. Down payment, you see, down payment. And they were able to greet that like a vision, right? I, that's okay. I can accept that. Faith gives us vision. Say, faith gives us vision. So too with us. One day, I was at the uh, Lawrence, Kansas. I had a, did a, this difficult season at the University of Kansas. It was very, very, very difficult. Personally, financially, everything it was difficult. And I had my daughter in the car, and we're driving. And it's about 8 o'clock, um, about this time last year, actually. And the sky in Kansas is amazing. I mean, the sky in a lot of the Midwest is amazing. I mean, even if you go to Columbia, you got you know, this just vast expanse, not so many trees and hills. And the sun was going down. And for some reason, that sun going down on that day was so beautiful, and it meant so much to me. I pulled the car over. I said, Eliana, we're going to watch the sun go down together. We just need to do that. We got on top of the van. We sat there. I held her right here, and the sun was going down. And I, I don't know what made me say this, but I said, I want to tell you something, Eliana. It's very important that we stop and we watch this. Do you want to know why? Because it tells me that every day, every day, every morning, every evening, the sunrise, the sunset, God isn't going anywhere. There's still hope. And it, it, moreover, it's quite beautiful on most days. Most days, you can see some, uh, some reflection of the sunrise or, or, the, or the sunset, unless you've got like a you know, really, really bad storm. But on most days, you can. And I said, it's very important. That, see, that's hope. I needed that vision. This is a down payment. This is God. My faith, I need to be pointed to glory, and I need your vision. My circumstances are just painful right now. I don't have any money. You don't understand. I'm, I'm so perplexed. It's difficult. But here, I can just sit for a moment with my daughter, and it was glorious. It was glorious. It reminds me that there's hope. God is faithful. So too, I believe in every day there's a little bit of grace, and we can greet that. Like, that's okay for us to enjoy an intimate moment with my wife, to enjoy fellowship as a church. There's just like, God is good, you know. Yeah, he is. I have something to eat today. See, by faith, we have vision. We don't have to complain. Because, you know, culture challenges our vision. Culture sells us, right? Our, our, our economic system depends upon making us feel uncomfortable so that we buy something to fix it. Am I right? It's very easy to compare ourselves with the Joneses and say, man, my house is 1,300 square feet. I, I just need 2,600 square feet. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with owning a house that's 5,000 square feet or 10,000 square feet, whatever. But the, but the lust, right? The vision, the smallness of the vision, like, God, I'm not happy. You, you've treated me poorly. I mean, here I am. You know, if you're in the American middle class, you're in the top 10% of the world's richest people. God, I, I think our vision is wrong sometimes, right? God, thank you. I've got, you know, it's beans and rice tonight. That's all right. It's good. Right? Put some sauce on there, some cheese. That's fine. <laughs> so there's realities in everyday like, life like this. Faith gives us vision. And what we're saying is by vision is we can trace the contours. We can see roughly. We see kind of through a glass darkly, Corinthians says. It's like a frosted window pane. I mean, it's out there. It's out there, but it's just, I, I can't quite see all of this. I can't quite see all of it. God, I'm not quite sure kind of where I'm going. I don't, I'm not quite sure exactly of my steps, but, but I'm looking to you. I'm trusting to you in faith. See, faith points to glory. Faith points us to glory. And, and in so doing, it gives us vision, vision to see. And as a pastor, I can say this. It's a big concern of mine. It is very important, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we cultivate 
a vision of God's glory. It's very important that we recognize the most important things like fellowship, right, that we help each other. It's very important that we take the time to like watch a sunset. You see, cultivating that vision is your first line of defense. It's like a, a first line of defense at the door of your house saying, you know what, I don't need to let that vision in here. I, I, I like the real thing, thank you very much. I don't want pornography. That's, that's, a, that's a sham. That's a lie. I can't have that in my house. All it does is steal pleasure for, I don't know how long, momentary, and then shame, destruction, right? And go down the list, right? Working, your, working yourself silly to, to get as much money as possible so that you can buy all that you can before you die. See, that's vi- the vision of God, uh, uh, the vision of God's goodness and God's glory and what God would have me do protects us from, from all these other silly visions that our culture is trying to sell us, you see? So it's like a, a line of defense cultivating that vision, that hunger for God's glory. In fact, God himself will cultivate it. Hebrews says he's a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. When you're playing with God, you're playing with fire. Chronicles of Narnia, is he safe? No, no of course he's not safe. <laughs> of course not. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. He's good. We have, through faith, we have a vision toward real goodness. Okay, so much for vision. Also, this, faith gives us identity versus the world. Let's go back to the text. Sorry, next, there, thank you. So, these all died in faith, having greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. I can tell you this word, strangers and this phrase, strangers and exiles on earth, cuts my flesh like cold, merciless steel. Because can I say, would other people say that I behave like a stranger and an exile on earth? Or do I feel Do I feel like a stranger in an exile on earth? Many days I don't. When I'm surrounded by material pleasure, I'm surrounded by everything my palate would want in that refrigerator of mine, and I'm just kind of sitting back, not thinking about much of anything. There are days for that, I guess. But a lifestyle where we're just trying to acquire as much comfort and pleasure as possible, just hook, line, and sinker, every sort of sale comes up in the Kirkwood Webster site. Oh, I've got to go get that. You got to go get that. Don't have the money? Commercial says, no problem. Credit. You got bad credit? No problem. We've got credit counselors. Your job's your credit. Got no job? No problem. No, no problem. We'll just take a car loan and get you, you know what I mean? No problem. You see the deception there? Right? That doesn't feel, if we're, we're on that pattern, if we're biting hook, line, and sinker, that doesn't quite feel like strangers in exile. So I need to kind of unpack this stranger exile language. So this is what Abraham said when his wife died. He's in the land, got dust on his sandals, he loses his wife, and he says, I'm a stranger in an exile in this place. Can someone give me a cave to put my wife in, up in here? And they say yes. Strangers in exile. So you might say to me, um, what does this look like for me to be a stranger and an exile? Well, we could talk about the, the word sort of stranger comes from the word we get 
xenophobia. I'm different. You're just different. Exile means this is not quite where I belong. This is not my homeland. I'm actually seeking a different homeland. You see, the journey of faith requires this vision. We talked about how faith points to glory. It requires this vision. Here it gives us an identity. It gives us an identity. So I was preparing this message, and I was examining myself, and I thought, what does it mean to be a stranger in an exile? Does this mean I go in for, like, the bohemian exile motif, quit the job, buy a V-dub bus, like, you know, grow out the hair, get a bullhorn, you know, go to L.A. and start, you know, blasting to the crowds? No. No, it doesn't have to mean that. The key in this verse is this, this word acknowledge. You want to underline this word, acknowledge. I prefer the, the NASB translation or the, um, even the old King Jimmy has it. It's confess. Confess. They confessed. They confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They confessed. So the reason why I like confess is it's a very important New Testament word. It's used about 20-some-odd times. 98% of the time, it's talking about faith in Christ, confessing your faith in Christ. It's not that we go in for the bohemian exile treatment. It's that our confession, what we really believe, has a practical flesh and blood outflow. outflow. It'll make us look different. Our confession, if you really believe in Jesus, you are really committed to following him. You really do love God. You really do cultivate this vision for your house. You're going to look different. And what does that look like? I'm going to mention an elder in the congregation, not by name, but I can go to his house, and his uh, little, little kid, very, very, very young, sits down and says, Mr. Mosier, how was your day today? Right? How's Let's talk. Little one, not, you know, not kind of like totally locked into the screen. That's not always bad. Time to kind of chill out. But not 100% of the time, you see. They cultivate family time. They read the word together, right? Their confession of faith compels them. God's a consuming fire. What does that mean? How do we apply this in our lives? And it trickles all the way down to this little, little, little guy. Mr. Mosier, tell me about your life. Do you like being a pastor? Tell me about it. It's different. It's different. It's strange. It's strange. It's like, wow, where's, where's your home? Right? It looks different. It smells different. It feels different. You see, faith points us to glory. It gives us vision. It gives us a distinctive, a distinctive confession versus the world, a distinctive identity versus the world. Does that make sense? When I was 17 some years old, all I cared about was horsepower mountains and girls, right? Horsepower, mountains, and girls. And uh, let's see, got in a motorcycle accident, pretty bad one, took all my money. Um, So mountains, a a, a total sort of ski bum, a little bit of a, uh, what you might call, uh, not so committed to uh, other kind of important things like school and work, and girls. I'm going to have my heart broken a bunch of times. So committing myself to like, this is the way for me. This is the vision of what's good in my life. And also, this is my identity. I'm a motorcycle guy. I'm a ski bum. I'm a ladies man. Just empty, 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 empty. What I was looking for is the kind of God who would make a mountain. The kind of God who would make me enjoy the glory of great engineering Right? A well-designed motorcycle is just about 
the coolest thing on the planet, in my opinion. Who made that? What a, what a wonderful thing. And a God that designed sexuality and intimacy, right? But I was just trying to fill, fill the void with this little tiny vision, not looking to the one behind those wonderful things, you see. So faith points us to glory, gives us vision, gives us a distinctive identity versus the world. Finally, uh, faith points, uh, points to God himself. Let's, uh, next slide, please. Let's do the next slide. We'll skip that one in the interest of time. Faith seeks our rest with God and witnesses to it. Faith seeks our rest with God. Can you go back to the text, the one with all the text? Sorry about that. So, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. Again, we can ask, what's our culture seeking? What, what is our culture seeking? We've talked about that. They make it clear. They speak. It reminds me of Abel in uh, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 4. It says, though Abel is dead, he still speaks, present tense. When we walk this road of faith, we endure, we have vision, right? We have this distinctive identity. It, it hangs out there. It's a testimony. It's an eternal testimony. It speaks. It speaks. Faith actually speaks, speaks to ourselves, speaks to others, speaks to our family. This is what is said as Abel. It, this is what is said about Abel, and it speaks to God who is faithful. God who is faithful. This is a God that's worth following enough where I can greet the down payment. I can see it from far off, but it really points to God himself. It really points to God himself who is faithful, and he has prepared for us. We'll go on a little preview for next week. He's prepared for us a city. He's prepared for us a place. Jesus said, I've got to go away. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. In my house, there's many rooms. In my father's house, there's many rooms, and there's a place for us. That is what we're seeking. That's the homeland that we're talking about. Is that clear? Yeah. So noticing that faith points us to glory. It gives us this vision, gives us this identity. We seek our rest with God. The question for me comes, next slide, please. Is this a test? Right? You read that text and you say, well, do I have vision? Uh, not so much. Right? Is my identity distinct from that of a regular old run-of-the-mill worldly person? Nah, sometimes not so much. Do I really seek God and witness to him? Ah, not so much. So is this a test? Again, this cuts like cold steel. I mean, is God really asking this of all of us? Is he really? Next slide, please. Yeah, he is. If anyone wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Galatians says, it's no long, this is Paul, it's not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live, in the fle- I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He also encourages the Christians at Colossae, set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life 
is hidden with Christ in God. That's your life. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. In glory. Yes, he meant what he said. God is asking us to follow him. He's asking us to trust him. He's asking us to make him the very source of our life, the very object of our desires. What's the alternative? This might seem hard, but what's the alternative? Death is the elephant in the room. When I hear pop jangles and different things to get me to spend my money and like, oh, it's going to be fine, you know, this culture that celebrates beauty and youth and picks the celebrities and, oh, what is she wearing and what is she buying and what's her diet and this and that. And I see my wife and son who have to compare themselves to that standard. This is what a woman looks like. This is what real femininity looks like. This is what masculinity looks like. You know, shave like this guy shaves. It's like, no, you know, you don't have to buy the big truck and jack it up. That's not always a bad thing. But, you know, Chase, you don't have to wear yourself out to get a girl and, you know, be some kind of picture of masculinity. I mean, what's the alternative? And does it work? No, it does not. And where does it lead? It leads to death. It leads to death. That is the elephant in the room. And we are in a culture also where our folks who are kind of close to death, they don't live in our homes anymore, usually not. They, they kind of, they're in their own space, right? They're kind of like sequestered off. We don't see them on TV a whole lot, right? But I mean, it's a wonderful blessing. Many will say, when grandpa lives in your house, my grandpa lived in my house, and it was a wonderful blessing. It was a wonderful blessing. You ever ski Mount Rainier, son? Uh, grandpa, nobody skis Mount Rainier. There's no chairlifts. They only climb it. Well, I walked up it barefoot. You know, I was like, really? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a blessing. <laughs> so the question is, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Does it work? It's glory to be found there. Next slide, please. This is for us who feel like we've been cut with the cold steel. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is good news for us, you see, because we all fail at this. And this is written to Christians. Christians. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. But if we confess, there's that word, same word. We confess. We confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you feel like you've been convicted and slayed in half this morning, like, man, that's just not me. This is where we come back to. This is our refrain. This is like our chorus. He's the one who overcomes. We sang it, right? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Moreover, who was it who came and had this distinct, distinctive vision for the glory of God alone? Jesus. Who is this one who had a distinctive identity? He claimed not uh, the bread that the devil offered him. He claimed not to take over uh, uh, ruling, uh, ruling and reigning uh, before the cross like the devil offered him. He said, my identity is to come and to, to do that which the Father sent me to do, which is to die for and reconcile sinners to God so that he has himself a family. To die for sinners. He's the one who sought his rest with God. He's the one who witnessed to it. Our answer today is Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews says. 
who, the one who, Hebrews says, for the joy set before him endured death on a cross for us. Friends, faith in Christ points us to glory. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are so glorious. Thank you for making all the wonderful stuff we enjoy. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would put things in their proper place. We would understand your character behind these truly good and beautiful and wonderful things. Oh, God, would you smash down the idols in our lives? Would you smash down the false gods in our hearts, the different things that we're serving, the different ways that we look for security and hope and love and life and beauty? Heavenly Father, would you please come in that special way, encourage us, Speak tenderly to us. God, let us know that we may follow you, that you're good, you're meek and lowly in heart. You forgive our sins. You give us a vision for the future. You give us a new identity.